When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am here today with Comedy Wood, and I am going to introduce her before we launch into a fun conversation about what she does and how so much of it just parallels many of the topics and issues that I'm very passionate about. So Comedy is a certified coach and a speaker, and she has written a book, which is a number one international best-selling book. It is called Om. Life's Gentle Reminders. So um, just a little bit about Comedy personally. She is a mother of five children. Two of them are young adults. And um, she is certified in so many things. I have to read the list to um, remind you. But some of her life coaching, certified coaching um, is in topics, including a teen life coach, like for teenagers body positivity, an uncoupling coach, life and wellness coach, meditation, breath work, something called calling in the one, which I don't know much about, and adventures and wisdom, and the new money story. And I'm so curious about all of this. Um, So um, I would tell you later a little bit how to find comedy and her website and get in touch with her if you want to use her for some coaching, but um, we'll do that at the end. So first, I'd like to say welcome, comedy. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. I know we got to chat a couple weeks ago on the phone, but just so y'all know, I've never met comedy in person, but just reading what she's doing is so exciting. And I can see so many parallel passions between what you do and what I do. So I'm really excited to pick your brain on um, some topics. So I will um, maybe throw out one of your phrases that I just loved is, and of course your company is called live joy your way. Mm -hmm. And I love the phrases here on your website that say dare to be brave, dare to be you and live your authentic me. Can you unpack some of that for us? Yes, yes. So we have to kind of dive into a little bit of my own personal journey, which is I am um, what I like to refer to as a recovering people-pleasing perfectionist. Um, Mm. Although, you know, I think it's an, it's an ever evolving journey. I think just self-growth and, and, and personal improvement or self-development is just all about how we continue to evolve, but that's kind of my backstory. And so Mm -hmm. what really, what I'm really getting at when I'm talking about living your authentic me and dare to be brave, dare to be you, it's about releasing the need for external validation, um, releasing the need to stay hostage to other people saying that you're worthy, you're enough. It's about being exactly who you are and coming to this place of true self-acceptance that says, Mm. I can accept 
myself as I am, imperfections and all. I don't need to be any more than I already am. My essence, my being, just me existing is already enough. So Mm. that's where that comes from. Amen. Like we could probably wrap up the podcast right now. (laughs) I love it. That's so good. I mean, that's uh, such an amazing place for people to get. And yet so many people struggle to ever get there in their whole entire lives. I think so many of us uh, deal with it in different realms. So a lot of people ask me, well, you know, who do you work with? And, and, you know, yes, I work with high performers, high achievers, um, just because that that's my story. I relate to them. I've, I've experienced it. I've trained in it. So that tends to be who I end up working with most often. Mm-hmm. However, it's not the only people I work with because all of us, I think, deal with this um, as some form of self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that self-doubt goes deeper than that. And it really truly is a limiting or a false belief of not being worthy or not being enough. Mm-hmm. And it really holds us back and it holds us back in so many aspects. I've seen it with my clients in their professional worlds. I've seen it in their personal worlds. I've seen it, you know, in terms of just uh, getting involved in toxic relationships mm-hmm. because they will overgive and overfunction, And so then they mm-hmm. end up in these codependent um, toxic relationships. So, you know, I was actually just asked this morning, well, you know, are you a life coach that just, you know, works with people on a personal level? And I kind of, I giggled and I said, Uh well, I don't, I don't think that they're separate. I think that what I really work with people on is that relational self-awareness. How do they see themselves? What is that relationship with themselves? Because that is the foundation for all of it, professional and personal. Oh yeah. Love that phrase, relational self-awareness. And I've been on a soapbox of just saying, you know, your most important relationship is the one with yourself. And if you love and value yourself with the package of strengths and weakness that you have, then you can sort of have a piece about life and know what you have to offer the world and really value. I love to say that everyone is gifted. And you know, you talked about kind of overperformers and perfectionists and high achievers. And I definitely you know, love working with those people. But as someone with ADHD and a lot of clients with ADHD, I see so many people who underestimate their talents because of either, you know, not doing as well as they were able to do um, and potentially able to do in school because they maybe never treated their ADHD or didn't know they had it or Mm -hmm. um, just really underestimated themselves. Yeah, I've seen, I've worked with some clients with ADHD and what really has come up into the sort of the surface is um, just being put in a box, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, and it's when, when we're in that box, it's hard to see beyond, you know, what's possible. And so it's really about opening it up and saying, I don't have to stay within this box that I've been given. Like, yes, it is absolutely something that I must work within, like work with, but I don't have to stay within it. Yeah. And the boxes that we can put ourselves in or or possibly be put in by teachers or other, you know, parents, um, those self-limiting beliefs or, you know, underestimating ourselves. And when you mentioned self-doubt, I always talk about imposter syndrome with people and how prevalent that is. I feel like maybe 90% of the world struggles with imposter syndrome at some point. 
Oh, definitely. You know, it's so funny because I think even the most successful people or how, you know, to the outside world, they're deemed successful. They Mm -hmm. too are dealing with imposter syndrome. They too have that self-doubt that pops up. Yes, Um, I don't know that we as a society believe that, you know, we just think, oh, they've got it all together. They, they have this, they're dealing with the same, very similar stories. <laughs> yeah. You know, and an interesting theory on that is that, you know, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And so I think humility should really come naturally with people growing in their profession and being considered experts or being well-respected. But yet I hope that those people, even as well-respected as they are, just say, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm still scratching the surface on on this topic that I'm supposed a supposed expert in, um, but there's just so many things left to discover. So it there's an interesting difference between humility and then feeling inadequate. And um, right. but I think all that relates really to what you're trying to teach people as well as I am is just embracing like you can't know everything. You're not supposed to be good at everything. You just use what you have and what your gifts are and your calling is to just serve the world and serve yourself in any way that you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 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 feel good about it, right? You yes. know, not feel like you're you're it, again, it goes back to the not being enough. It's releasing yes. releasing that false belief. That's right. Oh yeah, just it's enough. Um Well, can you talk a little bit about what you do with teens specifically or any population? I know you work with all kinds of age groups and, um, you know, I'm just so intrigued by some of these messages that you work on and, you know, or you give to people. Mm -hmm. Um, Could you share some of these? Yeah, absolutely. So I I do work with all age groups. So I I work with, uh, I've worked with some younger children as well, but mainly it's teens all the way through, I would say mature adults. Um, but the work that I really do goes back to how, how you see yourself and how you talk to yourself back to what I said earlier about the Mm -hmm. the relationship with self. Now I have raised my two older ones. Um, my oldest is a professional ballerina and my second oldest is headed off to play division one lacrosse this coming fall. Wow. So in terms of the work that I do with teens, I mean, talk about self-doubt, limiting beliefs. Uh, my son was being recruited during COVID, mm-hmm. uh, which was just, everything was turned upside down. So, you know, just the need for uh, true self-acceptance and mm-hmm. believing in oneself was just absolutely vital in terms mm-hmm. of that whole process. So, you know, it, it actually was it was experience like that experience i think made me even stronger at what i do with the teens which is really helping them understand what are those they have limiting beliefs too and they they're they're assimilating it from so many different places they've mm-hmm. got their social aspect they've got their familial aspect and then they've got teachers mm-hmm. and then they've got their own personality right their mm-hmm. own traits and then you've got social media mm-hmm. and the yeah. culture Right. So now we've got society and culture. I mean, that's a lot of places to be taking in all of these different ideas of quote unquote, what's right and what's wrong. Yes. And so what I really work with my teens on is challenging what they, they believe is true, right? Meaning what is actually true for them? Where Uh did that thought come from? 
Mm-hmm. So for instance, I'm working with a teen right now and I've been working with her for the past six months and she came to me and, and really the, the inner critic was so high, the self-doubt, the nobody, nobody's really friends with me. It was just in, in really what, when we unpacked it together, it was all about, well, how is she talking to herself first, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How does she see herself really working on that aspect first? Because then from there we could build on that newfound confidence of finding the the people that actually resonate with her values, right? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times our teens are just trying to fit in. And Brene Brown talks about this in her new book, the the difference between fitting in and belonging. And mm-hmm. fitting in is really about um, like putting on a mask and trying to be a part of a group. And you're always with this underlying fear that, oh my goodness, if they really see the real me, these people are going to abandon me mm. versus belonging, which is I am here as myself and I fully belong with these people that I'm with. And I don't have to fear that if they get a glimpse of the real me, they're going to just completely abandon me. Yeah. So with my teens, it's about helping them understand that distinction between fitting in and belonging. And the belonging comes from knowing who you are. What do you value? What are Mm -hmm. your gifts? What are your beliefs? And then giving yourself permission to discern who are the people in your world that align with those and then building friendships based off of that versus just trying to fit in and kind of glomming onto any group that you can, Mm -hmm. because the whole time you're worried that something's going to happen and those people are going to disappear. Right. Oh, okay. This is where I'm starting to get excited. I have, (laughs) I have an old friend. I've one of my best, best lifelong friends who's known me since I was four. And she listens to all my podcast episodes and she laughs. She's like, I know you so well. I can tell when you're getting revved up and excited. (laughs) So I got to like give a little shout out to her Jeannie. Um, But um, yeah, what you're saying is just so profound. And I've been telling clients and teenagers things like, you know, just talk about what you love. Like, let's say there's five things you love to talk about and just be proud of that. And if you find someone who really loves two of the topics you discuss out of the five, then that's great. Maybe they could be part of your tribe, but don't hide your true passions and, you know, the things you love to do, just be your authentic real self and be proud of it and just have faith that someone is going to love that and all the facets of you. And again, they don't have to share every single hobby or interest or political belief or anything, but look at what you value and find your tribe and just put those colors out there and, you know, just see what happens. Um, And I really love to work with social anxiety and what you were saying about sort of people's inner critic and how they have this self-fulfilling prophecy where they think I'm not good enough. I'm not going to make friends or, you know, I'm reluctant to put myself out there and I'm not going to make a fool of myself and be too friendly. I'm going to wait for people to come to me and they end up really just making their predictions come true. And many of them find out later. um, In fact, I had a teen group of girls this past spring that they were all saying people told me I was intimidating or they thought I was Mm -hmm. mean or they thought I was snobby. And um, I think like literally out of the seven or eight girls in my group, all but one had had someone give them 
feedback on their nonverbals and how they just didn't look very welcoming or friendly. And so their own insecurities and self-limiting beliefs were causing them to kind of make those negative predictions come true. Absolutely. I mean, personally, I know that this, this is this, this happened to me where I grew up in a predominantly white town. I was the little Indian girl mm-hmm. um, with a weird name. Right. So <laughs> I, I would already had the, the, my own personal thoughts, right. Had mm-hmm. become, I've got to figure out how to fit in, but because of that, it was actually don't make waves, right. Don't draw attention to yourself. So yeah. I would, I, I am an introvert by nature, but mm-hmm. I really went inside and people actually thought exactly what you were saying that I was either snobby or mean because mm-hmm. I didn't really put myself out there, but yeah. really I was just buying into that belief that, oh, because you look different, therefore you need to be quiet and stand aside. Right. So I was, I was actually separating myself even further. Wow. And only now in hindsight, can I see that? And so again, experience my own personal experience and that journey helps me, I think, show up in a more authentic way because I can really resonate with those individuals. Maybe it's not because of the color of their skin, but it's just some other thing that they're dealing with that that causes them to dim their light. And then they're wondering Mm -hmm. why are people avoiding me? And it's because we, we get treated, you know, people will mirror back to us how we see ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So if we see ourselves as being, um, you know, not good enough, we dim our light. Now we are living into exactly what you said. We are sort of putting ourselves in the background. And so people then think we're not approachable. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, that whole example you shared personally reminds me of how many well-intentioned parents that may have their own self-limiting beliefs or their own trauma or insecurities, Mm -hmm. they project that onto their kids and they program their kids that way. And, you know, their kids probably assume that it's well-meaning. And so they go with that, but then it really doesn't serve them well because it's not true. Absolutely. Parents and they do your, this is, I want to be very clear. I don't think that parents intentionally mean to do this. It's, it's unintentional. However, they do project their own undealt with narratives, right? The ones that they haven't processed through that gets projected onto their kids time and time again. And until parents are willing to do that self-reflection, and I say this in a very non-judgmental way, but Mm -hmm. until they're willing to do that self-reflection and that inner work on themselves, it will continue to repeat for generations, right? That's where we get the generational repeat. I, that's why I say I'm very honest with people. I recognize that my own uh, people pleasing was starting to repeat in my children. I could see it. And Mm -hmm. that's when I said, okay, I need to do my own personal work to interrupt this. Otherwise my children are going to repeat it. And then their children will repeat it until one of us is willing to do the work to, Mm. to break the pattern. That's so good. Um, I forget some of those terms like a multi-generational transmission process or something like that. Um, But so many people just aren't aware that, you know, some of the insecurities or the issues came from, you know, generations before. And as you just said, would just continue for generations unless we're willing to kind of look and examine Um, And and just so you know, I'm also a recovering people pleaser and codependent. Um, I wouldn't call myself a perfectionist. I think that's up for discussion. I I don't think I am. (laughs) But um, but I do think there's an interesting.
interesting link between perfectionism and ADHD, which ironically, I was Googling this morning with a client. Um, And there's a lot of really interesting talk about, you know, limiting beliefs and some of those, you know, perfectionistic, you know, unrealistic expectations can be very paralyzing. And you don't start because the bar is too high and you don't know that the bar is too high. And so you just delay and procrastinate. Mm. Um, So I do think I have some perfectionistic issues, but I don't think anyone who really knows me would ever think I was a perfectionist. (laughs) Well, I do think there are different, um, I don't want to say levels, but different ways that perfectionism shows up. Yes. Yes. Um, Sometimes it's an intrinsic perfectionist uh, attitude. And sometimes it's even extrinsic where we expect everybody around us to be perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. I have really high standards for other people, but not yourself. (laughs) That's funny. Um, Well, so what would you say are some of the, your favorite themes from either your book or some of just your favorite ongoing, I know you do lots of chats and posts and short writings and short talks. Like, do you have some favorite takeaways that you could share with us? Well, uh, you know, a couple of things that I personally really love to just talk about in general um, Mm -hmm. are things like Mm self-compassion and self-love. I think that right now, self-love, self-care gets, um, it's it's very uh, marketed to Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times people think that self-love is just like spa days and um, face masks, which is absolutely a self-care practice. But self-love goes deeper than that. Self-love goes down to things like setting boundaries and being aware of what your needs are so that your needs don't get lost in somebody else in somebody else's world. Right. Mm -hmm. It's it's about recognizing when you are maybe potentially a high functioning codependent Mm -hmm. and you are overgiving and overfunctioning. Self-love is recognizing I don't have to do that. I can take time to recognize what my needs are and also source those in a very selfful perspective. Mm-hmm. And then this concept of self-compassion, which is, I think, you know, it's it's so much easier to be kind to others. And we are so ridiculously harsh on ourselves. If we yeah. just slow down and pay attention to how we talk to ourselves, it's downright mean most of the time, yeah. you know? And, and if we could just pay attention to that and recognize that it's not... You know, I think, especially with high achievers, I think they, they, and I know this for myself, it mm-hmm. was this idea that if I'm not harsh on myself, I will slack off, right? Mm-hmm. That's just a false belief. It's just, yeah. it, it's, we, we convince ourselves of that because it has served us for a certain amount of time. However, there's a limit when we, when we continue to be so harsh on ourselves, we really do limit ourselves. If we can just allow ourselves kindness over judgment, mm-hmm. that the ability that we have, the possibility that we have to do so much more just opens up because yes. we're not limiting ourselves by this constant judge saboteur that wants to tell us how terrible we are or that oh, we really sure. should have gotten the thing. Yeah. Um, And so this idea of learning how to be kind to ourselves over judging ourselves, recognizing when that inner critic gets super loud and getting curious and compassionate with it and being like, okay, so I hear you, what's your purpose here? You know, getting, getting kind with it and saying, I I get that you're trying to, you know, maybe keep me safe or you're trying to help me achieve certain things. And yet you're limiting me. Right. And almost taking that step back from it and, and, and seeing it for what it is, it's just limiting yourself and then mm-hmm. shifting it from into 
you know, what's actually true about the situation, what's actually Mm -hmm. true about myself. Yeah. And then what action am I going to take to move myself forward? Mm. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, so few of us are ever really, I feel like at a happy medium in life. I mean, I am a huge um, proponent of using like a continuum to help people self-assess whatever age they are to me, the younger, the better, but, you know, to say, Hey, we're on this continuum of one to 10. Are you with 10 is I push myself too hard and I run myself ragged. And one is I am a little lazy and I probably don't, am not very productive. And, um, and of course depression can look like laziness. So I think that's where we have to be very self compassionate at times. It's not really laziness. It's, it's, you know, an addiction or depression, but, um, Mm -hmm. where are you on that continuum? You know, um, you don't want to run yourself ragged, but you don't want to be like not contributing anything or feel like you're not ever really very productive. And I think that deep down, almost everybody wants to feel a sense of productivity and contribution. Um, but some people get so far down the pike of, you know, being a, a video game addict or some sort of couch potato or depressed that that they don't necessarily realize how much they truly want to be accomplishing something. But um, and then, yeah, like you said, self-compassion, I, I was talking about that this morning as well. Um, but where are you on? you know, I hold myself accountable and I blame myself for everything versus I excuse myself for everything. And I have total self-compassion mm-hmm. and I, I don't expect much of myself and I cut myself slack all the time, you know? Right. Um, so I, I think that sometimes just sharing some of these continuums can help people realize, hmm, like, where am I on this and where do I want to be? Like, where's a healthy balance? And, and that's, I love, I love that you're talking about this continuum. And it's also about recognizing that each person's healthy balance will be different, right? There's right. not, I think so often we hear about, well, you need, you, know, you need work-life balance. You need this balance, you need that balance. And we think that there's one answer for everybody. And that yeah. goes back to what you said earlier, where everybody is unique. Yeah. Yes. We are all unique. So that's going to look different for each one of us. And it's giving ourselves permission to define it for ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, one of the most common continuums that I use, you're probably going to really love this. And I have been meaning to do a whole separate topic on this, a podcast topic, but is assertiveness. And in this case, the five is the goal as well. So 10 is being aggressive, mean, you know, kind of trying Mm -hmm. to hurt, lashing out. One is being a doormat and internalizing and holding in what you really feel. And five, the assertiveness is speaking the truth in love, being clear, sharing your information, what you need and all that. And um, that kind of brings up your point of where do people want to land? Because even though I would argue five is probably the, the ideal, but I always say, you know, four to six is really awesome if you're in somewhere in there. But mm-hmm. there are some really peacemaker type of people who would really say my goal is like a three. I don't want to be a four. I don't want to be a five. I you know, definitely don't want to be above a five. And then there's some people that are more like a challenger on the Enneagram that would like to be a six or a seven. They're not really going to shoot for a five or a four. Um, right. So I, I, I love that. Great. I can't wait to hear that podcast, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> I've been joking. 
you'll understand this better than anyone, except you are incredibly productive. And clearly you don't have ADHD, I don't think, but I have all these podcasts I've been joking are like stuck in the birth canal. I have like oh, yeah. 40 that are just like <laughs> almost ready, but just not coming out. So um, anyway, it's kind of driving me crazy, but summer break, um, I have three teenagers now, actually, as of last Friday, my my last child turned 13. So I officially have three teenagers and summers are a little bit stressful and, and wonderful at the same time. <laughs> oh, I hear that. I absolutely hear that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I mean, you've got five. I just don't know. I, I, I don't know how I would manage with any more than what I have, but, um, but well, so what other like topics are you super eager to talk about today? I know this is really just an overview. Um, and I really do just love so many of these live joy your way. I mean, such a great title for your company and then live your authentic me, just being your best self, your unique, real full self, and just taking pride in what that is. I like to say that everyone is gifted and I truly believe that. I do too. I've often said, um, you know, it, it's recognizing that each one of us, like our uniqueness is the uh -huh. gift that this world needs, mm. right? So often we are, we are, we think that we need to be carbon copies of each other. You know, yeah. and I think teens, especially you get on social media and it's like, oh, you know, this person's doing this or they're wearing this and I need to do the same because mm -hmm. it's it, you're trying, again, we go back to the fitting in, right? And so it's yes. recognizing that each person's uniqueness is exactly what gives this world that colorful diversity. That mm. is what makes us interesting. Mm. Um, so that's, absolutely something that I would hope that people would take away from just our chat today is that, you know, really coming to this place of, wow, my uniqueness actually could be a gift. It's not something yes. that I have to get rid of or yes. cover up. Yes. Um, um, it's just I, so, so important. That's incredible. I could not agree more. I mean, our uniqueness is the gift that this world needs. That's so good. You know, so maybe just, um, putting you on the spot. This is kind of a fun question that you didn't expect, but, um, I, one of my many podcasts that are stuck in the birth canal is on emotional safety and emotion coaching. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so much of these, so many of these messages that you are just, you know, really trying to get out into the world and into your clients relate to understanding ourselves and being with people that really understand and value us and accept who we are. And we need to understand and accept who we are as well. So, um, I have a friend with nine kids that I'm going to try to get on her on the podcast because I think she's done an incredible job of trying to just really see her kids for who they each are individually and value them with their package deals of strengths and weaknesses and modeling like we don't need to pretend that we don't have weaknesses. We all do. Mm -hmm. But that package of, of both is just, you know saying, Hey, here's 10 things I'm really good at. Here's like five or six or however many that I'm not. And I'm at peace with those and I don't need to hide those. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how you kind of use your philosophies in your work with your kids and how to love them uniquely as they are? Um, you know, with all being, I like to use the analogy of flowers, like 
if a rose says to a lily, you know, I am much more elegant than you are, or I wish that, or I wish that I was white like you are. And, Mm. you know, a Gerber daisy is, you know, jealous of the daffodils or, you know, yeah. um, Yeah. How would you talk about some of these principles with your kids to help parents who maybe don't understand what emotional safety is and how to just really accept your kids where they are? So first of all, I cannot wait for you to have that podcast out because I talk about emotional safety all the time. Um, I think that emotional regulation, emotional Mm -hmm. safety are just topics that absolutely need to be brought to the forefront. Um, Emotional safety is the bedrock for all relationships. Yes, totally. Um, Whether we're talking about workplace relationships, friendships, family, uh, romantic, uh, whatever it is, emotional safety has to be had when that is not there. The relationship really, truly suffers. Yeah. For the spirit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm just so passionate about talking about that. I've actually created... um, um, I'm actually in the process in my birth canal uh, <laughs> is, is, a, is actually a, a mini course on just um, emotional regulation and emotional safety, because oh. I do think that so often we are left with, um, or we were brought up either culturally through our family messages that we receive, whatever it may be. Yeah. There are so many messages we receive about how emotions are not okay, or mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're the bad ones or the good ones. And it's just, what if we look at emotions as data packets, they are just giving us information. Mm. And through that information, we figure out what we need. Um, mm. So anyway, I could go on, I could go on a total tangent on that, so that. that. But in terms of my children, you know, I really have uh, definitely dialed into what you're talking about, recognizing mm-hmm. that each one is an individual because, um, you know, my two older ones are very type A, you know, my mm-hmm. oldest ballerina, my second one, very into his sport. He plays lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Um, and my third child was a, a is a girl. And mm-hmm. so she, she was put in dance when she was younger uh, because her sister was there all the time. So mm-hmm. it made my life easier. Let's go to dance. Yeah. And I really had to be attuned to what she was. I I paid attention to her demeanor. I paid attention to her emotions when she would go to dance class. And I actually just very bluntly, when she was about nine years old, looked at her and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing a different type of energy when you go to dance. Can you tell me what you're feeling? And she actually was honest with me because I made that space safe. And she knew that I wasn't holding her in to this idea that she had to be just like her sister. And she said, mama, I really don't enjoy dance. It's too structured. I need to run around. And so she ended Mm. up playing field hockey. You know, she loves field hockey. And my, my, my fourth child is a boy, right? So Mm -hmm. again, it's, well, your brother plays lacrosse. So do you want to play lacrosse? Mm -hmm. But by this point, he's number four, right? So we, I, I started the conversation even before we got to the lacrosse field. Um, I think he played one, one season of lacrosse. And mm-hmm. I said, uh, I'm sensing that you're not totally enjoying the helmet and the pads. And he's like, I hate them, mom. I don't like them. <laughs> and so he That's started sensory. playing basketball. He started playing uh-huh. basketball. But what's so funny is he's come back around. He's now 13 and he himself chose that he wants to play lacrosse. So wow. that's the difference where by allowing for that emotional safety, allowing for that space for him to go across that, that spectrum of what are his, what does he enjoy? When he was, you know, six or seven, did not like the helmet, did not like the the pads. Mm-hmm. And now at 13, he's got, a, it, his perspective is different and it's giving him permission to change his perspective. So that's part of it as well. See, is that really is 
Oh, love it. Sorry. I totally so I got what, excited. Yeah. No, but totally what you were saying, how do you love them or how do you accept them where they are? It that's that's what it comes down to. You know, my yes. youngest right now, she's still she's all over the map. Right now she's into horseback riding and that's totally fine. Um <laughs> but, it, but it is, it's about having conversations first of all. So communication is key, but not projecting my own thoughts of what they should do. Ugh. And allowing them to determine what brings them joy, what brings them fulfillment. You know, so often I think parents get stuck in this idea of, I want my kids to be happy. I need to make them happy. And right there, I say, take a breath. They are going to be responsible for creating their own happiness. So the best thing that we can do is give them space mm. to figure out what brings them that joy, what brings them that fulfillment. Oh. I love that example and that whole philosophy, because again, I think so many parents unknowingly don't, they have blind spots to you're making this about you. And I love with your son um, and all the kids that you, the examples, but especially your son, you didn't make it about you. And, you know, often we mimic past generations doing this, but I could see some parents guilt tripping, like, do you mean I've spent two years in lacrosse and wasted this? And now you're going to change your mind. And then you go to basketball and then you spent three years and that, oh, I spent this much money driving Mm -hmm. you back and forth. And now you're going back to lacrosse. Like, and I, I think that many parents don't realize that they can really make their kids feel a little bit like pawns. Like this is, this is my world and you exist to do what I think you should do. And what makes me happy instead of, like you said, giving them space to say, this is actually your life. Yes. I'm, I'm paying for it and I'm driving you there, but I want you to do what's healthy and best for you. That's the language I use all the time. Mm -hmm. Anyone who loves you should want you to do what's healthy and best for them and, and for you and, um, and not, you know, be so like concerned about how it impacts them. Again, parents are allowed to set boundaries if they don't have the money or the time to do certain activities that is sure fine. Yes. Yes. But to just say, oh, well, I wanted you to do beauty pageants or I wanted you to play tennis because I played tennis or, you know, this is what my my parent friends are doing. And so just to say, hey, you figure out what you like and trial and error is normal. And you don't know if you're going to like something until you've done it sometimes for a, a month or a year or two years and you're allowed to change your mind. And isn't that the truth, right? Because I think a lot of us adults and I, the people that I've worked with in their middle age, you know, middle age and mature adults, mm-hmm. they haven't given themselves permission to change their mind. Right. You know, so wouldn't it be a great lesson to allow our children to know that they get to give themselves permission to change their mind? Their, their, um, what, what they enjoy doing can change. Oh, yeah. Know? So for instance, adults who are in a career and they get to, middle of career and they're like, oh my gosh, I am not enjoying this. It's yep. giving themselves permission to change course. It's okay. It's okay exactly. to change your mind. That's right. It's a little paradigm for life because even though they might be five or eight years old, this is how life is going to work is, you know, you're experimenting with things, you're doing trials and you don't always know a a coach can change everything. Um, Your teammates can change everything just like a boss or colleagues can change everything. Mm -hmm. And if you're really anxious or don't feel safe emotionally with a coach or teammates, like it's really the right thing and the healthy thing to 
possibly leave or do something different. And um, to not allow kids to have those trials and those changes in life is really abusive. Again, probably not intentional almost ever, but um, it's, it's just how life works. And um, there's an amazing bill of rights that you've probably heard of called the personal bill of rights. And I have given this to clients for years and a lot of them put it on their refrigerator, people of all ages. Um, so please look this up. This is going to be in my assertiveness talk, which is coming out at some point. Um, but it's, you know, it came from the assertiveness chapter. That's the first time I discovered it in um, an anxiety book that I was reading. And it has like 26 rights. And one of them is you have the right to change your mind. You have the right to determine your own priorities priorities. You have a right to be uniquely yourself. Um, you have a right to say no to requests and demands you can't meet. And it just goes on and on. Um, but it's just such a beautiful way to look at. You have to take care of yourself and to really love yourself well and listen to yourself. And, um, you know, people that respect those rights that you have are people you want to keep in your life. But those who don't care about what you need or what's healthy for you are probably not able to love you well. Oh my gosh. I absolutely love that. And, you know, I talk about that in the context of boundaries because so often people will push back on setting boundaries because they're afraid those people won't uh, won't like them anymore or will mm -hmm. leave them. Mm -hmm. And I often say that, well, first of all, the people who have the most issues with you setting boundaries are the people who are benefiting from your lack of boundaries. Yes. And second of all, if they truly love and respect you, they will come around. Sure. Yeah. They might not like them at first, but they're going to want to continue to love and respect you. And if right. they don't, they're not your people. No, they're using you and, you know, they're potentially, you know, really just liking that as you said, you don't have boundaries and, you know, you're over functioning or you're over giving or whatever it might be is serving them well, but it's not healthy and best for you. So that's not really what love should look like. Absolutely. Yes. Well, um, I know we don't have a lot more time. This has just been such a really neat overview. Um, and thank you for talking about the emotional safety. I'm so glad you're coming up with a, a, a new book or ebook or whatever you called it on emotional regulation and emotional safety. Yeah, it's, it's I'm trying to figure out what it's going to be. Is it going to be an ebook? Is it going to be like a mini course? Is it just, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I've got to figure all that out. But yeah, I mean, I'm so excited that you, you're thinking about putting a podcast together about it because I really do believe that we have to start talking about it more. Yes. And just even scratching the surface, like a little introduction, mine would be more of an introduction on what emotional safety is and emotion coaching and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, well, just before we wrap up, I want to share with the listeners, your webpage is comedywood.com, which is spelled C, uh, sorry, K-A-M-I-N-I wood w-o-o-d.com and then you can book a call with chat with i'm sorry i keep doing that comedy um my brain wants to read things the way you know the way it's, the way it's spelled i know i know <laughs> comedy um and um you know they can find your book um like the yoga um um life's gentle reminders. Um, is there a, a better way to help people find your website than, than some of those 
links? Uh, they can also find me on Instagram. My handle there is it's authentic me. Mm. Uh, and I also am on Facebook. Same, same handle for my business page. It's authentic me. Great. So it's ITS authentic me. Yes. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking your time to do this today. This has been really inspiring and so cool to hear about what you're doing. I have absolutely enjoyed every minute of our conversation. So thank you for having me. Me too. Thank you. We'll do it again. I look forward to it. (laughs) Thanks, Tommy. Bye-bye. 